Anderson flew off indoor. What a year had it been. The Bucks are the world champions. Moncrief going inside. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Winning Six podcast, the official podcast behind the bookpass.com. I'm your host, Sites Editor-in-Chief, Adam McGee, and joining me once again, I have Jordan Tresky and Ty Windish. Um, you will have caught earlier in the week our, our look at shooting guards, uh, the book's current crop of shooting guards. This time, um, we're back to looking at some of the teams the books are going to have to square off with across the, the course of the season, so... This is probably where we should do the central division, but we'll leave that to the last. Um, just because what's what's the point of doing the books division now? We'll we get everyone else done and we'll come back, save the best for last, as they say. Um, so we're gonna stay in the east, we're gonna move to the southeast division. Um so his thoughts on the southeast. I think that the southeast is sneakily entertaining. Um, I taught this last year, but I guess the central is the, the division that everyone's going to gravitate towards. There's going to be some really good matchups in the southeast. There's a nice balance of sort of young talent teams who are looking to maybe press a little bit further or further down the road and chasing titles. Um, I guess the best place to start off will start in alphabetical order. Um, and last last year's division champions, the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I'm going to get this out of the way now so that Ty and Jordan don't have to keep referring to it the whole way through. I am an Atlanta Hawks fan. Hey, you're a Hawks fan? Yeah, I'm a Hawks fan. For, I thought you for were like, a Hornets fan. For the few people who haven't been paying attention every time one of you guys has gone, yeah, Adam's not going to like this. Or, Sorry, Adam. I am a Hawks <laughs> fan. Um, so we'll get that out there in the open. It's going to make for, for good debate, good discussion. We'll start off like we did last week. Um, I'm going to run through the depth charts of each team and we'll go from there. So starting with the Hawks, at the moment, uh, point guard, the Hawks have Teague, Dennis Schroeder, Shelvin Mack. Um, moving over to shooting guard, this is now this is gone by ESPN, so I'll be slightly dubious of the way the positions are split up. But anyway, um, we've got Kyle Corver, Kent Bazemore, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Justin Holiday. And um, moving to the tree, you've got Tavo Cephalosha, Lamar Patterson, and Taryn Petaway. At the four, you've got Paul Millsap and Mike Scott. And at the five, you've got Al Horford, Thiago Splitter, Mike Muscala, and Walter Tavares. That is the way the 2015-16 Atlanta Hawks look like they're going to shape up at the moment. Um, a couple of those guys are non-guaranteed deals. May not be there by the end of preseason. How do you guys see the Hawks faring out this season coming off what was a pretty historic year last year? 
I have them at third in the conference, uh, second in the division. We'll get to that later. Um, I, I mean, I think the loss of Carroll's a little overblown. Um, just the fact that they're bringing back so many guys that were important to them last year. Um, they'll finally have Tabo back after the NYPD broke his leg for no apparent reason. Um, and just like the way that whole organization is run, I mean, they're not going to be bad because they lost Amari Carroll. He came out of nowhere, easy come, easy go. He's gone now. They would have been stupid to pay him and lose Paul Millsap, who I think is by far the better player. Um, the one thing for me is I've been disappointed in Dennis Schroeder playing overseas. I've been, I've been keeping up with how he's doing over there, and it's been not great. His assist numbers haven't been that good, and his scoring has been pretty inefficient. And it's, it's obviously it's different. It's overseas play, but, I mean, him with Dirk over there, I expected to see him kind of show out and kind of make Teague sweat a little bit over there for the, the starting spot, and it has not happened yet. This is the thing about Schroeder. Um, he might be he might be the most confident player in the NBA. He is up there in the Nick Young sort of swaggy B stakes in terms of confidence. So, swaggy D. Yeah, that could be that could be a name. Um, let's hope it won't be, but it could be. Um, <laughs> Yeah, with, with Schroeder, I think he, he, this sounds crazy, but already in his career, I'd say he's probably at a point where he's going to struggle to get himself motivated for, particularly at the moment, Eurobasket hasn't kicked in. So these are just exhibition games for Germany. Um, he's a fascinating player. There was times last season, even if you just look at the playoffs, where Dennis Schroeder looked phenomenal and there's every chance he could still become an absolute breakout star and um, the Hawks lead point guard. Or he could be a turnover machine who makes bad decisions. And um, Tigsy can walk on water pretty much and just falls flat in his face and drowns. I don't know, there's a few things with the Hawks I'll get into, but we'll go to Jordan first to, to get his thoughts on them. Um, what do you think? How big a deal is the Mary Carroll's loss going to be? What way does that roster look to you like it might fare out this year? Um, well, I think uh, I think we can all agree that their regular season was kind of an anomaly. An anomaly, I should say, that, to be gra grammatically correct. But uh, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that big of a drop-off. I think, I think Carroll is a big loss. In the fact that I don't think the guys that they have to step up could not by themselves. I think if they if you put them all together, I think they could try to replicate what Carroll did, especially towards the end of the last year, last season of the playoffs. But I don't think one of them could be that kind of guy that could do that. Um, uh, but I don't think they're going to be that bad. I think. Uh, what kind of throws a monkey wrench in all this is not just not with the Hawks, but with the Cavs. I think not to go on them, but with there, there's reports say that Irving could be out till January. Kyrie, I should say, and I think that kind of weakens them a little bit as far as the regular season. That might not weaken it, them eventually going to the finals, which I think a lot of people would say is almost a given at this point. But I think teams like the Hawks are like another team that we'll go into later, but uh, I think that gives them a little bit of a chance to 
be at least in that like 50 win range, maybe 55. And I, I think probably the most underrated acquisition this summer is Tiago Splitter. I think that for what they gave up, which what was it? I can't even remember if they gave up it was anything to pick. There was nothing. There was nothing. They gave, I mean, they gave draft rights to some European prospect just so something moved in the deal. Yeah, yeah it was but, like a, it was a guy from like three years ago, I think. It yeah, wasn't yeah, a, a recent. It, oh yeah, it was nothing. It was basically that was that might be the best thing to have come out of Budenholzer and Popovich uh, having that working relationship for, for the Hawks anyway, and um, it was yeah. basically just here's a Tiago splitter for you. Yeah, and he's. He's. I don't know. I just. I think he's a. I think he's. For what he does, he's really underrated. I don't think he's really like a guy that. Um, he doesn't play. I mean, he doesn't play a lot of minutes, at least with San Antonio. I don't think that'll probably change with Atlanta, and it just gives him a better death option. I think we saw last year, as Para Antis kind of fell off in a big bad way, and they desperately yeah. needed someone that could. Give him a big, like a just another big, and Splitter is more than qualified to be a backup option. I mean, arguably he could be, should be a starter in this league. But the fact that they got him for basically nothing, that's huge going forward. Not just with the regular season, but their playoff chances in general. They're gonna be really, really, really good when Splitter's in at the five, and either Millsap or Horford is in at the four. I wrote about this. I covered the Hawks for a short while. Horford plays like a power forward. He manages mm -hmm. a center. He's not a bad center. But his favorite area to shoot is 10 to 16 feet from the basket. That's his game. He's not an inside scorer. He doesn't overpower you. But he makes a lot of those mid-range shots. With Splitter occupying the basket, Horford and Millsap, Millsap too, he can score anywhere. He's a scoring machine. But those two guys are going to flourish in their time with uh, um, Splitter on the floor. You're going to see a lot of – I think they're going to change up their style a little bit losing the shooter and Carroll, you're going to see them go big more and focus on those big more, I would imagine. You probably don't realize how much, if there was Hawks fans that just happened to come across this podcast, how much that Horford plays like a power forward thing would just, like, it would get their brain melting one way or another because that's, like, <laughs> the, the ultimate Hawks argument for so long is, oh, Horford's really a power forward, or, oh, he's really a center. Um... I, I see him 100% as a center, 100%. Um, it's great that he can step away and shoot. Um, anyone who's a regular listener, if you or if you read our stuff, particularly mine, I compare Greg Monroe and Al Horford a lot because I see a lot of similarities in their game. And the one part that's missing, well, maybe two parts, is Horford is an outstanding defender, but primarily it's on the offensive side of the ball He's automatic from mid-range. Mm -hmm. um, he really is. And that's if Monroe would add that to his game, he'd be a hell of a force. Now, Horford, inside, is a better scorer than I think people give him credit for. He maybe doesn't do it as often, though, as a lot of other centers around the league would do, and that's because he's such a good passer. A massive part of the Hawks' three-point shooting. You can give the credit to Kyle Corver, to Mary Carroll, pretty much everyone on the roster. There's no point me going through, guys, because that's the way the Hawks were set up last year. A massive, massive part of that was the willingness and the skill of the big guys to pass the ball out. 
Um, and that was Horford last year, and that was a big difference from the year before. The Hawks caught everyone off guard last year with the way they played, except for Hawks fans, because they might have only won 38 games the season before, and they went out just in the end, in the first round, seeing the Pacers. <laughs> but that was there for everyone to see. If Al Horford hadn't missed pretty much that whole season, the Hawks were going to be right knocking on the door of a 50-win team. And the players sort of got to develop within that mold and then get Al Horford back, and that made that made a massive difference to the team, as it would to anyone. Now, a couple of things on Thiago Splitter. To the same, I guess, the same idea behind it. My favorite thing about Thiago Splitter throughout all his time in San Antonio is his passing. He is such a good passer for a center. He's got really soft hands. It's not something that's apparent when you look at him. You don't expect it. But he's got a really good eye for inside passes. He knows how to pass outside. In this team, he could find himself grabbing a lot of assists. His teammates could... It could be their dream. I mean, if you have... People might say, okay, well, a Horford splitter front court that's not maybe ideal for spacing or that's not going to create the same in terms of offense or shooting that's not necessarily true because both of those guys they can hurt you inside but they're about as they're about as accomplished as you're going to get in, in passing big men um, and that's that's a big deal um, where the Hawks are going to have problems this year it's funny all the talk of the small forward spot I'm not worried about that, and I'll get to that in a second, because I think they might just have a solution there. We'll have to see how it plays out, but I think they could have a guy there who could maybe even end up giving them more than Damari Carroll. The spot that I'm worried about for the Hawks is the power forward. You've got Millsap, obviously, as the starter. You could potentially have Horford in there in the depth chart if, if Splitter is going to start a bit. Behind that, you've got Mike Scott. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention recently to what Mike Scott's got himself into. Um there is as good a chance that Mike Scott could be in jail by the time the season starts, or awaiting oh, yeah. trial, um, as there is that he's going to be playing NBA basketball. Um, a little bit of a sort of drugs issue going on there. Um, real question. Real Hawks question. Yeah. What are the chances they pick up Carlos Boozer? Zero. Yeah, Why? zero. I, I just don't see him. He's not a fit, and with, if there's any organization in the NBA right now that will just go, he's not a fit, and move on and rule him out, it's the Hawks. More than the Spurs, more than anyone else. Um, the thing I get on that boozer is the wrong kind of power forward. The Hawks yeah, need very much... You know, who would have, you know who would have worked for the Hawks? Chris Copeland. Um, mm. Because at center... The way, okay, as I said, the way ESPN break it down mightn't be necessarily true, but you have Horford, Splitter, Mascala, and Tavares. Now, Tavares is 100% the center. He is seven foot two. Um, he is he is a blocking machine, or he was in Spain. We'll see if any of that can translate. It might be too soon, but is, it's going to be exciting. Is he going to be NBA this year? Or is he going to be dealing? Yeah, he signed. He signed. Oh, okay. So he's going to be in the NBA. Um, he goes Splitter, by Eddie, doesn't he? He's his name is Walter Tavares. He likes to call himself Eddie. Eddie. He's done oh, Eddie. great, uh, great commercials for cars in Gran Canaria. If anyone's if anyone's looking for something to amuse themselves, I'm pretty sure they're on YouTube. And um, if you YouTube Eddie Tavares, I, I, I have a feeling it might have been for a Kia. 
Uh, but just really, really strong commercial game, um, <laughs> which is which is good. When you're a seven foot two guy coming to the NBA, that's going to get you places. Um, yeah. Thiago Splitter and Tavares, they're both centers. Mike Muscala played really well in the playoffs. Um, it's he's a sore guy. Probably not many people are paying attention to. Muscala was a second round pick who looked really limited when he first came in, and the development he has seen under the Hawks coaching staff has been incredible. It really has. He he was a player transformed, and if he could make anywhere near the progress he made last year coming into this season, it's going to be hard enough to give him minutes. Now, Mike Scott was a divisive figure for the Hawks last year. People had known from the year before, he really went off in the series against the Indiana Pacers, and that was probably how he announced himself to a wider NBA audience more than anything else. I guess the thing with Scott is, for all the times he'd come in and he'd have 18 points in five minutes or something completely insane just go off, he could be really inconsistent. And of any player on the roster, he was probably, yeah, I'd say he was probably the worst defensively and pretty easily too. Hawks have done a great job of building a two-way roster from top to bottom. Um, And Mike Scott didn't quite fit that profile. It was a bit of a surprise when they re-signed him, just because just there was a question mark. It wasn't a bad deal, but at the same time, he's a player a lot of Hawks fans felt, mm, could he be traded, particularly with the development of Muscala. Uh, I keep saying that there's always a team that will take a player in the NBA. I'm pretty certain right now Mike Scott is the exception to that, because with what's hanging over his head, I don't think any team is going to want a part of his contract. Um, yeah. What I alluded to earlier, where I think the Hawks are going to be okay, I really like Kent Bazemore's chances at coming in, playing some small forward, and making that spot his own this year. The thing with Bazemore, he's got he's got the sort of length that the books normally go for. I mean, he's got that mix of sort of, I guess he's got good natural defensive instincts. He's incredibly athletic. Um, when Kent Bazemore dunks on you, you know all about it. Um, I think he's smart. He's underrated. He can do a little bit of everything. He's had his sort of short spells here and there in the NBA where he's put it together. The thing that I found most impressive about Bazemore last season, and it was sort of Budenholzer went through spells of where, where Bazemore was one of his guys and he was in the rotation completely dropping him out of it. But when the Hawks were short-handed in the playoffs and they got themselves to the conference finals, Bazemore was the guy who was so, so keen to go out and put himself on LeBron James and take that challenge on. And it shouldn't be the case, but there's so many guys in the NBA who you just know, particularly with the size difference between the two of them, LeBron might have had something like 60, 70 pounds on Bazemore. I mean, Bazemore isn't a particularly chunky guy. Uh, but a lot of guys would have been covering their own back and saying, okay, I don't want to be go in here and have myself be made a fool of. Bazemore was famously going and picking up LeBron at half court, and LeBron was blown by him, but he'd come and he'd come again and again and again, and eventually he was actually starting to, starting to have a little bit of an impact on LeBron. Um, I think he's underrated as a defender, he can really knock down the tree. He can actually play off the dribble and either distribute or go to the rim. That's the one I fancy to really break out for the Hawks. And if that was to materialize and he was to make a big jump, 
he's a much more complete player than Demario Carroll. That's something that I think people could could be sleeping on with the Hawks. Um, yeah. Go on, a couple of fun numbers about both of those guys. Um, Bazemore, despite being 6'5", per 36 minutes last season, averaged six rebounds. So he's got a nose for the ball. He's, he's one of those guys where he's not the biggest, but like you said, he's got the attitude. He goes after LeBron. He goes into the paint and steals rebounds. So that's my, my good Kent Bazemore number. My bad Damari Carroll number. He's got a reputation now as a 3-and-D guy. It's well-deserved. He's a good defender. He fights. He can't create a shot. 99% of his made threes last season were assisted. If that's not being a product of the system, I don't know what is. He's, I mean, his offense is going to flounder in Toronto. He doesn't, they don't move the ball like the Hawks do, not even close. And he also benefited from standing next to the best pure, if you're not counting off the dribble as part of it, the best three-point shooter of the last decade, Kyle Corbett. He will not be standing next to one of the best three-point shooters of the last decade. He will not be an emotion-heavy offense. There's a lot of guys you could plug in who would have really good three-point shooting numbers on this Hawks team. They're going to move the ball, and they're, they're surrounded with shooters everywhere. First of all, for Corver, just take the last decade out of that because he is one of the greatest three-point shooters ever. It's yeah, that's simple as that. I think, I think he gets underrated because he's been a role player for much of his career, but he's not anymore, and his efficiency hasn't dropped in fact, it's improved for the most part as his role has gotten bigger, and that's insane. I mean, people talk about Ray Allen as the greatest three-point shooter ever. Well, aside from three-point makes, get Ray Allen's numbers and put them alongside Kyle Corvus and tell me who the better shooter is. Um, to, go, to go back to Carroll, that touches on something that I talked about in our, our other podcast this week about Chris Middleton, and that's exactly... Damari Carroll was a product of the system because he had... The other four guys on the floor, quite literally, they were all all-stars this year. Um, yeah. So Damari Carroll was the man over, and that's why, did you say it was a 95% of his? 99. 99, wow. 99%. <laughs> oh, I can't be right, really? Look at, pull, it up, pull up his b-ball ref, right? I'll do it. I thought well, it I mean, was like... I mean, that's how that happens, though. It's because you're worried about Jeff Teague off the dribble or... You can't leave Kyle Corver. Uh, Millsap can beat you in so many ways. Horford inside can beat you in so many ways. And then it's just like, okay, well, we'll live with the Mary Carroll taking those shots. And then all of a sudden he shot like 39.9% from three. Um, so from a Bucks point of view, I think that's the sort of thing they can look to happen with Chris Middleton. The advantage being Chris Middleton is... Oh, I'm sorry, 98%. Okay. It's still it's the same. It's yeah. incredible. That that's a bigger testament to how well the Hawks executed last year than any other stat I've heard. The fact well, that, that that you can plug that guy in there, and that's they got him that contract. I mean, that's the stat that shows it. Yeah, that's well, true. Even just his normal shots during the regular season, eighty-two point seven percent of Demari Carroll's shots were assisted. That's all. That's really high. The playoffs that dipped down to 79, he, he was assisted on everything. I mean, we're not prepared for this in that way. We're prepared. We're always prepared, but not quite like <laughs> this. Um, I would like to see what the Hawks' overall assist percentage was because it's going to be high, but that is. That's 
that's sky high. I don't. There's not going to be many other guys in in the league with numbers even close to that. Here, I'll pull up Corvers for an example. Tamari Carroll made three three-point shots that were unassisted last season. <laughs> oh yeah. Corver did occasionally pull up from like half court just as a heat check. So yeah, yeah. I'm, wor- I'm I'm working on pulling up Corver's numbers right now, and this is a guy who's seen as just uh, a spot shooter. So well, let's see how Corver I remember. I remember when when I was gonna say when I first came to behind the book pass, but when we all first came to behind the book pass. Yeah. Um, Corver's I, I at ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah, he made. Um, let me see here. For three points, he made ten that were unassisted. That's yeah. That's not a lot either. That's the Hawks. This is where the system and describing. I don't know. The word system gets thrown out too often in the NBA. Um, the Hawks have a true system though. It is somewhere where you can plug guys in. I mean, even when it went bad with the second unit, they were getting the shots. They just weren't making them. Mm. And that's that's where you talk about, say, Pero Antic taking a ton of shots, wasn't making any. He never did, really, in his time as a Hawk. Um, but they always find the shots for those guys. It's just about making them. And what I was going to say there was, um, I remember the early days for us at Behind the Book Pass, Kyle Corver was not Ty's favorite player because he was taking Brandon Knight's spot in the All-Star game. I, rem- I remember all those articles that uh, used to pay me. I think the thing the thing that you've probably come around a little bit on, but a lot of people I feel don't realize or don't know because, to be fair, you wouldn't. It's not something you expect, and unless you watch a lot of Hawks, you're not going to see it. Kyle Korver is not just a good defender. He is a very good defender. He's one of the best shot-blocking guards in the NBA at any time. Roy Hibbert has nightmares about Kyle Korver. I think that is actually what, what ruined Roy Hibbert. Um, he was on a downward spiral, and then Kyle Korver came in and, and blocked him in the playoffs, I'm going to say three times in the space of about five minutes. Um, but yeah, as a shot blocker, he's really good. The same way he can read an offense, he can read defensively, though. He does a great job at denying. Um, the same way he runs around screens to get open shots, he'll run around screens to prevent his opponents from getting open shots. Um, Bradley Beal got a taste of that in the playoffs. Beal had a pretty good couple of games there to start that series, and Corver was really struggling with his shot. Um, but still, every time Beal would get to a ball, he was made to work so hard for it, and that's really an, an underrated aspect of Corver's game. Um, um, just, just one last comparison, sorry, for the, the Carroll thing. Chris Middleton was uh, assisted on 97.5% of his threes, but only 59.5% of his two-point looks, and he shot 48% on those. So Carroll was up in the, I want to say, 80s for the twos as well. So even Middleton, who's also a spot-up shooter, created a lot more by himself than Demari Carroll did on the Hawks. Yeah, I, I, once again, I don't know how much you've seen of Demari Carroll in sort of large chunks. Demari Carroll dribbling the basketball was an adventure. I mean, Damari fast breaks. Like Dan, Danny Green, like a couple years ago, Danny Green was not a create your shot kind of guy at all. I think still Damari, Damari has a much worse handle than Danny Green. <laughs> who, who has a worse handle, Damari Carroll or Matt Villavadova? 
Matt well, Dillon Dillon has the worst handle. Have a handle though. So you yeah, I would have to say maybe. Ever seen a point guard have? He literally can't take the ball from half court. He'd have to like post up at 30, 40 feet away because he just couldn't dribble past anyone. We can't we can't talk about Delavadova and Annie Hawk in the same sentence here. I mean, this is <laughs> he is the enemy. He's public enemy number one. I I'm personally he's, not over that. It won't be anytime soon. He's just uh, the the first person I think of when I think terrible handles in the NBA. He's, He's the, the first person I think of when I think of rolling on knees, but we'll move on from that one. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's a sore spot. Don't, uh, <laughs> conference finals don't come along too often, so it was, so it was painful. Um, Are we going to Charlotte? We'll, go on, we'll, get, we'll get you guys to finish up on the Hawks first first of all. So I think you said tie third in the East, was it? Uh, third in the conference, second in the division, yeah. But not bad. Still 50, 52 wins. Jordan? Oh. See, it's t- oh, man. 52 sounds really good to me. It is really good. I, I, yeah, there's nothing wrong with 52 wins. I will say, uh, I think I will say 52. Yeah. 52. I want to say ESPN had them like fifth in the East. They had them fifth, good. which is. I oh. This wasn't. I don't even know. Did the books get revealed on this yet? Because they're sort of counting it down. This wasn't. They had them as last week. They had them ranked second in the <laughs> East, and this was in order of how likely they were to win a title or to. I thought it was to win the East the finals. I thought. I thought it was to win the East. Well, wouldn't it be the same? There was no. Well, they had them as. Second coming into the, out of regular season, I really don't understand it. It was it was really strange. Whatever way, whatever the rankings were last week, they had them second, and whatever qualifier they put on this, it moved them down to fifth. This ESPN forecast crew has been weird. It's uh, it really. I think a lot of it is just about creating debate. They did their fir- they the did their worst. Way I can put it. They did their worst newcomers thing, and it supposedly factors in contracts. Rondo was the worst on a one-year deal, and Wes Matthews was like third coming off of a ruptured Achilles on a max deal, and his canter wasn't mentioned. Oh, don't don't go there. We'll get yeah. to all these guys in a few weeks. Let's say X player. Okay, any player who does not play defense and gets a max deal over five years, there's a bit, and who just came off of the ugliest breakup. Did Reggie Jackson get had. a max? Yeah. <laughs> Reggie Jackson. I wish, I wish you could all see Tony's face there. But anyway, uh, I'm going to wrap up on the Hawks now. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say second in the East. Uh, fifty to fifty-five. I felt like you'd say fifty-five. That's that's, that's right. purely based on another healthy season. Um. Saying that I trade, I trade less wins. I take six seed and like forty-five wins for them to be in full health coming into the playoffs. I think that was the saddest thing about the Hawks season last year was they actually they got the look of having a perfectly healthy season pretty much right up until the end, and then you had Millsap, Horford, Teague all entered the playoffs injured. Cephalosha missed the playoffs injured, and um, so. I think that's the lesson learned for the Hawks from last year. They still managed to get through the first two rounds, 
but if they could be healthy with this squad now that they've got a bit more experience that would be nice I'll say 50 to 55 if they're healthy um, I didn't this is quite a while ago now that Jordan said it but I, I had missed that Kyrie Irving uh, news about January that's interesting that blows the whole conference wide open here's the mm. thing about that I know we haven't done the central yet if David Blatt is smart they don't put in a point guard in Kyrie Irving's place they either put in JR or Tristan Thompson and let LeBron run the floor See, that would be I, by far the smartest thing to do I don't think that's smart because what that does he yeah he's your best playmaker but that just increases the burden on LeBron, and LeBron well, not is not necessarily not if he distributes more than he scores. It it LeBron just means the pass. ball is constantly in his hands. He doesn't have any second option because if if Kyrie isn't on the the floor, LeBron isn't passing off to anyone unless it's basically their turn to shoot. Well, I, if if Jr. or Shumpert's open, they can knock down threes. Kevin Love exactly, can but that's he, LeBron will do everything until he p- passes it off to those guys. Oh, I mean, I think know, he's got a, he's got a, the thing about LeBron is he's a Swiss Army knife. He adapts to the situation. I think LeBron, I mean, he knows how to coast in the regular season. Don't forget that this guy took two weeks off just because, and I mean, it wasn't the worst decision in the world. LeBron knows how to coast and go into quote-unquote chill mode. I think they're still best off with LeBron playing at 70% speed than giving who, who, what point guard, Mo Williams yeah, or Mo Williams. Matt Deli ma- massive minutes. I I mean I'd if I was the Cavs, they're another team. I mean they've except it wasn't just the playoffs; it was most of the season. They've experienced what bad health can do to your chances. I'd happily just basically punt on ten games of the season and go, okay, yeah, we don't care about the number one seed, we don't care about the number two seed because we know come playoff time we're better than every team in this conference. Well, yeah, that's so, that's, that's why it's out. Right. Well, that's why Kyrie's out until January. I'm sure he could play before then. But see, if that's the same, if that's the same, I mean, by that same token, I wouldn't, I wouldn't load LeBron's workload up so much that he is your point guard because they also need him to score. They also need him to rebound. They need him to do LeBron things. So if you put the main playmaking responsibility on his shoulders as well, we all know LeBron loves to do that. I mean, if he's not, the, if there's even when Irving's there, if he's not the main playmaker, he's gonna go at some time and take the ball and just go, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm running this play, and we know that's how it works. But I think there's a danger there of putting a little bit too much on him. This isn't something that's factored into him. LeBron's health has been phenomenal for ever for any athlete at, at his level. It's not discussed, but he's getting older, and he's he's been playing a lot of basketball from a very young age and unless he actually isn't human this is going to catch up on him at some point well the thing about it is too what's he been in four straight finals now or more oh he's he's playing deep every year five straight yeah. finals right and he, and he's had he had an olympic games in there as well a, a world championship as well so i mean yeah he's on five straight finals he went every year with miami in his first year in cleveland so, so yeah, that's five finals. straight times. He's come all finals to go to two, two international tournaments in that time as well. Three, it would it be three? At least I don't think two. he played. He didn't play for the FIBA World Championships last year, right? He didn't last year, but he would have played. Okay, so that's two because he played for the one before that, which would have been he the first the year. That's yeah, that's right. So he's had two international competitions. 
and then five trips to the finals. So that's a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wouldn't wish it on. I don't think anyone wants to see. I suppose the the amount of time we get to see LeBron James play cut down, except maybe his Eastern rivals just temporarily. Um, but eventually that's going to catch up. I don't know. It's uh, it's one I'd be careful on if I was the Cavs. We'll get into that one a whole lot deeper in a few weeks, though, when we get back to the Central Division. Same the Saudi. What about, what about Hawks say next week? Really quick. Okay, I'll talk Hawks. That's all right. <laughs> what did you uh, What did you think of the Hardaway trade? Um, this goes back to something we talked about on our other podcast this week as well in terms of <laughs> value in the middle of the draft um, and the way the books went with Rashad Vaughn and went with the, the draft pick the Hawks went away from it I don't know, I feel they possibly could have got a better player but I have complete faith that they'll be able to maximise what Hardaway is I, I've actually always sort of liked Tim Hardaway's game since he came into the NBA um, and in a sort of functional environment, I think he could, be, he could be really good. So, I mean, worst case scenario, someone's going to have to step up. So, I mean, if if it is Cephalosha, if it is Bazemore, as I said earlier, well, then there's a hole in the bench, and if he fills what Bazemore's role was last year, it's going to be pretty limited, but I think he's more than capable of doing that. Mm. I was okay with the deal. I don't know if it was good value, but I was okay with the deal. One last Hawks question. What are the chances that Bazemore slash Hardaway plays two and Corver plays three? Because I think he's the tallest out of those three guys. I want to say Corver's six six. The two are both six five. Hardaway think, might be six six. I think slim because I think he's his size advantage at the two is what makes him a good defender. If you're to put him up against some of the really big trees that that. Well, that's the, the thing. I mean, you're gonna I run mean, into Paul George. Yeah, I think George is going to be at the four, remember? <laughs> I don't think he's going to be there that often. We'll see. I I think the Hawks would be more prone to go with Bazemore. Bazemore might not be as tall, um, but his wingspan, which I can't remember off the top of my head, is insanely long. It's got... I'm trying to think of what it is. I, he's, I think he's very close to seven foot. Oh my gosh. For a 6'5", I think it could be 6'11". Um, could be wrong on that, but he, he's exceptionally long for his height. 6'11 um, and a half. Yeah. Okay. Jesus. So that's... That's draft. That was four years ago. Yeah, that was when he was drafted. He probably is seven foot now. I mean, that's the thing with Baysmore, and I think I, I probably even said it earlier. I don't even consider Baysmore as small because the height just doesn't seem a factor when you have that sort of length. It just oh, doesn't yeah, play but, into it. Yeah, if, if he, he can jump a little bit, he could block anybody's shot. And yeah, Baysmore can jump. Um, so I'd be more prone to put him there. Even Cephalosha is pretty big. I think he's bigger than people think. So I well, he can defend anyone. I see Corver staying at the two. So, do you, I suppose uh, there's a mix in that as well because offensively, putting Corver at the tree against guys who should technically be a little bit slower creates more opportunities for him. And um, whatever way they. The Hawks split that, though. They'll have opportunities to switch between the two and the three um, from one side of the ball to the other. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, but I'd probably lean towards sticking with him at the two. No more Hawks questions? Can we move on from the Hawks? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll move on then. 
A team I spoke about, maybe it's last week, maybe it was the week before. This is my dark horse for the playoffs. Yeah, this is my sleeper pick. This is the Charlotte Hornets. We did this in quite a lot of detail at the time, I think, because it might be because everyone thought it was crazy. Um, yeah, I've talked about the Hornets a lot recently. Yeah, we'll run, we'll run through just very quickly. As I said, we did this before, but just to remind everyone, their depth chart right now reads Kemba Walker, Jeremy Lin, Brian Roberts, Aaron Harrison, uh, then at shooting guard, Nick Batum, Jeremy Lamb, Troy Daniels. At the three, uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, PJ Hairston. At the four, Cody Zeller, Frank Kaminsky, Tyler Hansborough, and Al Jefferson and friend of behind the book pass, Spencer Hawes inside. I said it before, I'll say it again. I just think they're a collection of really good NBA role players. Um, that's sort of underrated. We talked a little bit about how the Celtics, um, between the combination of just being solid all around and having a really good coach could have a strong season. The same applies for the Hornets. Um, a lot of NBA fans might have forgotten just how good Steve Clifford was in his first season. Because last year was pretty disastrous. But there was other factors of playing that. Um, bringing Lance State, Stevenson into the equation definitely didn't work for the, for the Hornets. What do you guys think about the way the Hornets should look this year? I have them in my uh, Eastern Conference thing. 13th in the conference at 33 and 49. Uh, the six-win difference, I have Boston at 39 wins. The six-win difference for me comes from coaching. Uh, Clifford's not bad, but I just think Brad Stevens is elite. Um, I just look at his roster, and I just wonder, how are we going to decide like who gets these minutes of power forward? And Cody Zeller had some pretty good years, but they turned down a godfather offer from the Celtics for Frank Kaminsky's pick and stuck there and took him ninth when Justice Winslow was still on the board. Uh I just don't I don't know how much value they put in him, how much they expect him to play, how good they expect him to be, or even what position he'll be. I mean, everyone wants to say he's going to be a stretch four because he's a white guy that can shoot, but this guy had no problem scoring on Kentucky in that title game, or that semifinals game. You know, he was going up against, um, uh, why am I, Carl Anthony Towns and Willie Cauley-Stein in that game. I think mostly Towns, but Stein was there too, Cauley-Stein. And he's still got his inside scoring. I mean, he's a really good inside scorer. I don't know if he's going to start at what position. I can't imagine they'll start him over Jefferson. But then if they start him at power forward, I mean, he can space you out, but he's not used to playing power forward. He never did that with Wisconsin. Uh, I like Kid Gilchrist as a player. He's good but not great. I uh, don't really like Kemba Walker. And uh, Nick Batum's coming off of a really bad season. But this is a contract year, so. Um... Last week I was pretty tough on the Hornets, I admit. And I'm kind of warming up to what Adam's saying. Just because just because they had such a bad year, I think not even just Kemba, but Big L was he was hurt probably from the beginning. Um, I think one of the bright spots that they had was Kid Gilchrist. I, you know, we talk about we talk about MCW's shooting woes, but Kid Gilchrist has always had that attached to him since he came in the league, but he's been a pretty solid guy, and I think that exception that he just got is really works for Charlotte. So I think, and if you throw in Batum's 
you know, pretty woeful year last year. They have a lot of guys that need to prove themselves again. Not even just that, the coach is up for, I mean, if they don't make the playoffs, he's most likely going to get fired. Same goes for their GM. I think they definitely bought in too much this year because I don't, their ceiling, if anything, is maybe 7th or 6th seed if everything breaks right for them. But they have a like you said, they have a lot of solid players. It's just a matter if they don't, if they don't, I don't know. I, I just, I, it's, I have such a hard time, like, see if they can live up to that potential with everything that is uh, on the table. It's, it's hard, but they're definitely up, or they're definitely going to be better than what they are from last year. Like the only problem for me is is the power forward spot because I don't like any of those three players. Mm-hmm. Not I don't like any of them even in the slightest. Um, they're all, I mean, it's, it's almost like the it's like the point guard situation with the Bucks. I mean, they had so many like how do you figure out favorites. who's going to be there? Yeah, but I think that at least the books you look at it and you go, okay, there's a clear favorite there. Yeah, there's and the, the even guy. you can just see something out of Michael Carter Williams, or you can see. What Grievous Vasquez can bring. Oh no, I didn't mean that. I meant like just like the surplus of so many power forwards, like to see how like that. But yeah, sorry, continue. Well, I just I just think it's just such a mediocre mix at that position. Everywhere else, not only have they got, I mean, Kevin Walker, Nick Batum, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Al Jefferson. That's four really solid players. I don't. I don't think there can be an argument with that. You can argue about how good yeah. maybe Al Jefferson is, or Kemba Walker, or Nick Batum, or Michael yeah. Gilchrist. All four of those guys, you might debate just how good they are, but all four are good. I'm. I'm worried about this team spacing. That's one thing that I'm. I mean, if Nick Batum doesn't get it together, Kemba's never been great for long range, and I hear Michael Kidd Gilchrist has. Michael Kidd Gilchrist has developed a three-point shot. Well, I have his NBA numbers. He's taken 18 threes in 5,114 minutes and made three of them. I, I mean, if you can say he's developed a shot, but you need to see it on the court before you can really buy into it. Well, I mean, that was developing a shot for him. I mean, that's that's the thing. This is a guy who had literally no shot. I mean, this isn't well, like I mean, normal is... NBA standards of this guy needs to develop a shot. This was like, this. how is he even a basketball player without a shot? So well, it's, I don't. He took nine his first two years, nine each year. He didn't take any last year. In fifteen hundred and eighty-seven minutes, he did not attempt a three-point shot. But it's not a. It's not about a three-point shot for him. I mean, I don't worry about the spacing because it depends on how conventionally you look at their rotation and if it's going to be blocks of a starting five and then five guys from the bench. Because Jeremy Lin can shoot the three. Uh, then at the shooting guard, Troy Daniels. If we if we even leave Jeremy Lamb and talk about him, Troy Daniels is a lights out three point shooter. Marvin Williams is not he good is. for much. He can shoot the tree though. Spencer Hall is at center. He can shoot the tree. And I mean, if that's the way you're worried about the starting five, that that's where I then think you go with Frank Kaminsky and just go, okay, he's probably our best chance of spacing it out. Bring him in there. They do have guys who can shoot. Maybe not straight off the bat and what their strongest starting five would be. But saying that, I mean, Kemba Walker, he's not a really efficient shooter, but he's capable of making open trees. Nick Batum is a good shooter if he gets it back together. So I wouldn't be that worried about it. 
it's it's all on the power forward spot for me. Just if they don't, if they have another disastrous season like last year and they find themselves near the bottom of the Eastern Conference, I I gotta say it's probably going to be pinned on that power forward spot. People might be distracted and go, oh well, Al Jefferson didn't play as well, or Kemba Walker isn't that good, whatever it might be. Michael K. Gilchrist. His deal isn't good value after all. Whatever it is that people pick out. But that's like... That power forward rotation reminds me of like the Bobcats teams who you're just waiting to see, oh, will this team get like 10 to 12 wins this year? That's what it feels like. That feels like a throwback to the Bobcats. Um, I... What do you see, Jordan? I mean, what what do you think realistically? How many wins would you project the Hornets being at, or where do you see them falling within the conference? Oh man, <laughs> God. this might be. I think that uh, this might be one of the harder ones of the teams just to see, like, uh, what were they last year? Does anybody remember? I'm going to say third worst in the conference. That's why I have them this year. I think it was only the Knicks and Sixers that were worse than last year. Was Detroit was better than them? Uh, that could be wrong. But maybe... Well, no, I actually, think. Detroit were, because Detroit were in the playoff conversation briefly. The Hornets and them. Oh, that's right. Uh, same as my projection for them this year, 33-49. No, they were one game better than the Pistons. Wow. That's surprising. Anyway, um... Uh, well, if I say over 40, I mean, that means basically oh. a playoff game. Remember what you said as well, yeah, we're going... I oh. know. I oh, think I might have to. I think I might throw a team out of the playoffs that I said that they would go. Let's face I'll it. Say, the time we've done all these podcasts, the numbers are not going to add up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll say forty. Ooh. Tight. Thirty-three and uh, what did I have? Thirty-three and forty-nine. Yeah. I'm going to go 41 on the nose. Wow. And that will be the mark for the eight seed. This sounds about right. To me and you, Jordan, probably not to anybody else. But to <laughs> me and you, that sounds about right. Wow. <sighs> That's a tough one. Now is when it gets really interesting. Next on our list is everybody's favorite team this year. The team that they're going to be world beaters again. They're going to take the East and the NBA by storm. The Miami Heat. Um, excuse the sarcasm and skepticism in my voice there. Um, <laughs> I'm just struggling to get on the Miami Heat hype train like pretty much everyone else seems to have just jumped aboard. Not um, me. What can I say? I've taught you well. You had to talk me up on the heat. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, you're also a little crazy sometimes, but yeah, that is true. <laughs> we'll run through the depth chart to start with. Goran Dragic, Mario Chalmers. It's amazing that Mario Chalmers is still there. 
You're talking about two-time world champion Mario Chalmers. Yeah, they, they just clearly hate his guts, though. Yeah, I don't know why. They, I, neither do I. I, I wrote a piece looking for Chalmers to be a book earlier in the summer, and people got offended, if I remember people correctly. People don't like Mario Chalmers, and I don't know why. That's because they saw LeBron shout at him, and they feel if LeBron shouting at him, well, then they have the right to shout at him as well. I mean, that's... I think I think it's it's his attitude, yeah. I think it's something like that. I don't think his attitude is that bad. I just think it's We're getting sidetracked. Let's finish let's finish the death <laughs> chart first and then we can talk about Mario Chalmers. Um a shooting guard, Dwayne Wade, Gerald Green, Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson. Yeah, I totally know those last two guys for sure. Superstars. Yeah. Um at the tree, we've got Lou Deng. Justice Winslow and James Ennis. Another superstar. James Ennis was okay last year. I'll give him that at least. Um, at the four, Chris Bosch, McBob, and Udonis Haslam. Who's still somehow on the team. See, I thought that was going to be the hardest one for you to make a smart comment about, but at center, Hassan Whiteside... Amari Stoudemire, Chris Anderson. The picture of mental health is their son of Okay. Um... <laughs> well, it's true. Oh, let's, let's not go there. Let's yeah. not go there. That's, this is the team. Remember, Larry Sanders played for the Bucks. Let's not go down that road. I mean, that was one guy. So I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say. I should say well balanced players. How about that? That's better. Yeah, I'd rather. That's what I meant. Um. What? Let's play devil's advocate. What is so good about the Miami Heat? I want even you to try hard in this tie. Find something that's really good about the Heat. Well, besides. No, not besides. Just find something that's really good about the Heat. They have a strong starting five if they all play to expectations and they all play a lot. Is that including think, Luol Dang in the starting five? You won't let me say mean things, so yeah, I guess. All right. I would. They're going to start him. I think they have a lot more depth than they did last year. According to SI, he's like the 77th <laughs> best player true. in the NBA. A lot more depth than they had last year. That was like, it's like the most backhanded compliment ever. <laughs> That's kind of true, yeah. But... Like, remember last year where they had no players? Well, this year they've some. Um, what's my nice thing? Let me see. They've got a great coach. Yeah, underrated coach. Eric Spolster is legitimately, I'm going to say, top five NBA coach. Top two in gifts. Uh Top yeah. gifts. Who's who's there with him? Are we only talking coaches? Or are we talking everyone? We're talking coaches. I meant all NBA people. Who's number one? Lance Stevenson. Yeah. I think Eric Spolster has a much bigger back catalog to call. He's been on a bigger back catalog, but Stevenson's highlights are the best. Yeah, I guess. Blowing in LeBron's ear is untouchable, and there's one where he just pops up out of nowhere, and it's, it's hilarious. It's hard to describe. You're smiling thinking about it, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to pull it up. <laughs> um, I know 
Jordan, have you nothing else good about the Heat? Are you down on the Heat as well? Uh, probably not as much as you guys, but I don't. I also am in the camp of. I think it's pretty ridiculous to insert them as the second best team. I just think. Same as Wade. I think Bosch. I think people are. I think we're kind of expecting. Oh, since he's clear, been clear to come back after a pretty scary situation. That doesn't mean that he's going to have like some regression. I think he still has to get back into playing shape. And Dwayne Wade's going to miss at least 20 games. Luol Deng is a solid player, but he's not what he was five years ago. And I'm not... I'm, hmm. Gord Drogic yeah. was really good last... Not last year, a couple years Two ago. Years ago. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, and he, uh, Was that a contract here? No. I just sent the Lance Stevenson gift. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think... No, because last year was a contract year, right? I don't think yeah, he, just he was signed, a free agent. Dude. Sorry, that's correct. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Um, um, yeah, I know what you're saying. I'm not completely convinced by him. Um... Yeah, I mean that's my. I have them seventh seed, forty-one and forty-one. Yeah, about I, I, I was about to say that's important too because I'm really down on the Heat. They're gonna make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, but it's this that the Heat are a legitimate contender in the East. I just find to be absolutely farcical. Now I know we argued about this the other day, Ty. Um, you brought up like like Jordan the Chris Bosch thing. I'm not that worried about Bosch. I actually think Bosch is. Bosch is the biggest lock they have. Yeah, that's oh yeah, I totally that's agree. That's scary though, because how long has it been since he's played? It's not I mean, that it's long. Months. It's it's more it's the severity of what he of what his what? condition was. Now the difference, and it's an important one, is it was a condition and not an injury. And I think you've got to from anything I've read or been led to believe, I think he he's been healthy for quite a while. So he's gonna have had a long period to get himself back in basketball shape. Who, uh, there was another. There was another player that had the same thing last year. What was his name? I'm not oh. sure, but I know. Uh, Is it Talovich? Talovich? Yeah, Mirza Talovich. Oh, yeah, yeah. His was. His was worse. I think he can't. Yeah, I didn't want to say it was worse or more serious, but I think it was. I think it was. I don't think he can play anymore. I know I read that. No, he's back. No, it was. It he, was no, he came back mid-season. He did come oh, back, um, but it was there was real doubts over him. I suppose there was over Bosch as well. It's a, it's a very serious thing. Yeah, from what I read, it doesn't happen more often, considering the ridiculous amount of travel and flights that NBA yeah. players find themselves on. Go on, Ty. I, I read if they didn't catch it earlier, if it was more severe, there's a chance that you you can't play anymore. Oh, there's, there's a chance that you die. die. Well, that, that um, too. I didn't want to say yeah, that. Yeah, that, that also, sort of stops you playing then. There's also a chance <laughs> that they can rule that you can't play, though. Oh, yeah. For, that you, forever. The doctors, just for medical reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Bosch missed the, the rest of the season, but they, they can say, like, no, you just you can't play pro sports anymore. So, yeah, it was it was a close call. Mm-hmm. The thing, the thing with with Bosch, I don't, I think Bosch, Bosch doesn't have a real injury history. 
He's bits and pieces here or there. He's been pretty healthy too. But yeah, he's he's generally had good health. So if that continues and there's there's nothing sort of out of the ordinary, I think a lot of people might have forgotten just how good Bosch is. Saying that, Luol Deng is. I think to say Luol Deng isn't as good as he was a few years ago is like the kindest way in the world of putting that. Because Luol Deng might as well just. I mean, who can remember any? Who can remember anything of Luol Deng last year aside from the Danny Ferry comments? Yeah, think about because, it. Because Luol Deng did nothing on the basketball court. He had a he had a sneakily bad year. He's no, I, I I don't think anybody really talked about how it wasn't like it wasn't like the fact that. He it was like it didn't stand out in a Lance Stevenson kind of way, but he was just like there where everybody thought like, oh, especially from the drop from LeBron leaving, I think everybody expected well, there's gonna be a little bit of a drop off, but it would it's not gonna impact their playoff chances. Well, they didn't make it to the playoffs, and he wasn't like he just I don't know. He had, yeah, he's been the he's Heat been, in he was, general. He was terrible for two teams. The year before that as well. For Chicago, he was not very good. And for Cleveland, yeah. really wasn't good. And they gave him a pick for him. That's just insane. And I mean, <laughs> and now I'm trying to really pull back from my memory, but wasn't there stuff about Dang? He wasn't quite the locker room guy. I think the people thought he was going to be as well. I didn't. I Dion Waiter's incident of some sort. Was that trying to like fix that whole Cleveland mess with like waiters and Irving? I think he tried to stuff? fix it. I, I hope I'm not wrong because otherwise this is just making stuff up. And I apologize. <laughs> uh, but I thought he had some fairly public things to say about. Here we go. Oh, Report: Luol Deng shot yes. that mess that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I remember what this is from. This is from the same uh, scouting report. That landed Danny Ferry in trouble, and this oh. this is why I remember this because that came from it came from an unnamed person within the Cleveland Cavaliers who I am not good with names, so I can't remember who, but it was pretty clear to everyone because of someone who had left the franchise since. And um, but yeah, Deng seemingly didn't do a whole lot or wasn't very positive on the idea of fixing that. He didn't have good things to say. So that was a little surprising. Um, I just... I can't take Luol Deng seriously as a small forward. Look at how strong and physical small forwards are. How athletic they are now. We're talking about Yanis. Yanis playing small forward. If Yanis is stronger, if he goes up against Luol Deng, Luol Deng is just going to crumble into a pile of dust. I mean, Tom Thibodeau has literally... I mean, ground down Luol Deng to the bone. Yeah, talk about, talk about a guy with a close call himself. Like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a whole mess That in that sense. Jesus. So, okay, we're doing a good job with debunking the whole heat thing. So at the moment we've got Bosch. Bosch is going to be the the most surefire thing. He's coming back from a potentially career-slash-life-threatening condition. And we've got Luol Deng, who is old, definitely in decline, has had his own... Dicey, uh, dicey experiences in terms of his health. Where are we going next? We'll go to Hassan Whiteside before going to the backcourt. Call me skeptical, but I, 
aside from the attitude, even if we don't go near the attitude, if he doesn't turn out to be a problem in that sense this year, I don't know, I have a hard time believing he's going to be quite as productive this year. It seems to me like a lot of people, and people who know about basketball, I'm not about respected writers, people who genuinely can be considered experts, have bought into Hassan Whiteside so quickly. I know his, it wasn't just sort of, it wasn't just a month at the end of the season um, where he really showed out, but at the same time, it took him so long to get to that point. Why are people so quick to trust him? Well, here's the thing with Hassan Whiteside. It's not just football where coaches and teams watch scouting reports and game plan for guys. I mean, this is a guy who had played 111 minutes in his career before he started playing in Miami. No one was ready for him. No one knew who he was. If you think teams are not going to game plan for Hassan Whiteside this season, you're dumb. They're going to be ready for him. I mean, did he play very well? He had a lot of rebounds and blocks and a fair amount of points. Yeah, he did. But, I mean, keeping that up on a team that now has Chris Bosh taking away shots he's going to take, that now has Dwayne Wade healthy again, still has Drogic, and, I mean, okay, Lou Deng's probably not going to take that many shots away. But he's looking at going from probably, like, what, the first option, maybe the second behind Drogic, to the third or fourth. It's going to be a different role for him. I think he's one of these guys who he put up good numbers on a bad team. It's easy to do that. I mean, when there's no one else doing anything, you have a lot of opportunities. You know, Hassan Whiteside, he's, now he's got to be expected to play on a really good playoff team. It's a lot harder to be good on a good team. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not totally buying into him either. I just don't. They're really taking a big. I mean, obviously he showed some flashes last year, but they take a really big risk because obviously in 2016, they're. I would assume they're looking at a premier free agent as well. But he also has a contract coming up, and the fact that he could easily make. Set the upwards to what, probably fifteen million dollars at least, and the fact that even last year he had some kind of uh, <laughs> attitude problems, even when he was like a like everybody was praising him what he could do on the court. He got ejected twice in a week. Yeah, it's not just oh, some yeah. attitude problems. He got ejected for flagrant twos twice in a week. Who did, he, did he punch, like, Kelly Olenek or something like that? He absolutely trucked Kelly Olenek. Kelly Olenek yeah. had it coming, to be fair. No, he's that a was before fair. Kelly Olenek did that. <laughs> I mean, if, I, even before Kelly Olenek did that, he had it coming. If ever a guy had warranted that, it was him. So, who was? can we remember who was the other person he got ejected? Uh, I can pull it up. It's... I can't Let's see. I might, be, I might change my mind. I might be all in on the heat if... If Whiteside is just going out taking out people who <laughs> taking out opponents for the greater good of the NBA, well maybe we can just all get behind the heat then. Loading it now. I know the thing about Olenek was it was like a dead ball and he just like punched him in the head. Alex Len. Uh, I don't have a strong enough opinion on Alex Len yet. Mm, yeah. Phoenix Phoenix play way too late for me to watch their games over here. That might sound like a cop-out, but trust me, that's the problem. <laughs> uh, when it's bright, when the team's game starts, that's too late. Um, 
I, you know, uh, we'll we won't even touch Dwayne Wade because we're going to talk about the same things that everybody knows about Dwayne Wade. It's mm-hmm. his health. It's the fact that he's older. He's still one of the best players in the NBA in terms of talent, but I guess how long can that continue? Um, question marks over Dragic as well. Predictions for the Heat. I I think I know me entire the same. Where have you got them, Jordan? I go forty-five wins. Fifth. Ooh. Fifth. So after Sixth. all that, Jordan isn't that down on them at all. Nope. Well, I I mean. I'm only messing. It's okay. It's a... I just I just think that it's not. I don't think they're a 50 win team. I just don't. I just don't see it. I definitely don't think they're a 50 win team. Ty. I think they get, but they don't, get 45 don't you think people think that. Right. Oh, everyone thinks that. They probably think that like they're like 55. I mean, they're. I've heard some like, pretty that, like that thing we talked about with the Hawks being whatever ranking that was from ESPN. The Hawks being five. I would not be surprised if Miami are a two in that. That's ridiculous. Like, even ahead of Chicago. And if they're not ahead of Chicago, they'll definitely be three. Jeez. That's how high people yeah. are in the heat. And I don't see that. It's like it's like people are giving them credit for this champion team. Well, the holdovers of the championship winning team are Wade, whose health is gone, Bosch, Great player still, but on his own is a different story to to Wade and LeBron beside him. And then you've got Mario Chalmers, you've done as Haslam and Chris Anderson. So, I mean, they don't have a lot of credit left in the bank from the championship winning team. Yeah, it's just bizarre. I go, I'll go seventh, forty-three and thirty-nine. I think, yeah. yeah. Okay. Orlando Magic. Um depth chart of This is the the possibly the weirdest depth chart in the NBA. They've got such a mix of wow, look at that great young talent and why do they have so many old guys who are gonna take their minutes? <laughs> um a point guard, Alfred Payton, CJ Watson, Shabazz Napier. Shooting guard, Victor Oladipo, Evan Fournier, Mario Hazonia. Small forward, Tobias Harris, Devin Marble, and I'm going to say Melvin Iam, is it? You don't know Melvin Iam? Edgem? Edgem, maybe? Edgem? If it's Edgem, then people are pronouncing it wrong. I'm going to say (laughs) Edgem. I like Edgem. It looks sort of Dutch or something. I know if that's <laughs> Dutch, it'd be, it would be I am. But anyway, um, we I, I don't think we have to worry. We won't be talking too much about our friend Melvin. Um, <laughs> at the four, we've got Channing Fry, Aaron Gordon, Andrew Nicholson. At the five, Nikola Vucevic, Jason Smith, and Dwayne Dedman. Pretty weird mix, isn't it? Is uh, very, very. my question about this team is is Hazonia gonna get minutes? <sighs> yeah, 
he might now with Aaron Gordon. I see. Oh, I see that a little differently to the way ESPN have it set up. There, I see. If I was the coach of that team, I'd have Peyton, Oladipo, Hazonia, Aaron Gordon, and Nick Vucevic, and that'll be my yeah. five. I'd be playing Hazonia as a tree, and I wouldn't be playing Tobias Harris. I wouldn't have paid him all that money this summer. Yeah, that's the thing. They're, They're going to play him. Yeah. I don't think Scott Skiles will pull a George Carl and not pay the guy making the most money. Do you guys think Tobias Harris is really a tree? No. I want to I see mean, Tobias Harris' stats for a second. I think he, he needs to be, because teams keep treating him like a tree as well. He's 6'8". He doesn't have to be. Really? He's 6'8". That's what he's listed. 6'8", 226, a thin 6'8". But... He's a tall-looking 6'8". I mean, that's tall enough to be a 4. Jabari's 6'8". It's small, though. Is Jabari not taller than that, now? Well, I know he's not the same height as Giannis. Giannis is 6'10"-ish. I think Giannis has gone beyond 6'10 now. Um, I mean, Tobias I Harris hasn't even got 3,000 points in the NBA yet. I like him as a four because he's a much better two-point shooter than three-point shooter. He's 36 from three, which is good, but he's a solid 50% career from two-point range. Yeah, I don't. I'm just. Not, I'm not buying him as a tree. His height is surprising. But I'd rather have him at the four than uh. The Channing Fry is his first cousin. I don't like Gordon much either. I like a lot about Gordon. The fact that he doesn't shoot sort of troubles me. Um, but I mean. Yeah, that's just play his own, that's... and then there's no shots for anyone anyway. So that solves that problem. Yeah, I think um, I think Orlando is probably the team I'm probably the most down on this year. And then I think people to say like, who could possibly crack in the playoffs? Kind of like the Bucks did last year. I just don't see it. I think they're. I think every move they did this year or this year, this summer was pretty. Pretty terrible. I just don't. They they have a lot of money tied up in a team. There's not a sure thing, not a proven. The thing with the Magic is that goes for last year too, because yeah. it was last year that they signed Channing Fry and their other and their other signings last year were Ben Gordon and Luke Ridnour. That's, yeah, why do they keep bringing these old guys? Like, why did they sign C.J. Watson? Why do they pay money for him? Like CJ Watson belongs on, like, on a playoff team that's looking for sort of a veteran combo guard who can come in and compete. I don't. He's, he's got a wet touch. He can sink threes, but they don't really need that here. The Pacers was the was the right spot for him. He should. If CJ Watson was still a Pacer, I mean, I don't know. I guess I could see that. I agree with you, Jordan. I think it's so so disappointing because the Magic should be the team that everyone looks at and goes. Well, they're the team we're going to break in. They've got so much young talent. I, I think they're going to get run into the ground. Well, even just like the guys they gave up, like think about like Kyle Quinn. They basically replaced him with Jason Smith, who's he's a fine shooter, but he's thir- like well, probably at least 30, I would say. Kyle Quinn, he's not going to be a starter in this league, but a very capable player. And, and the Watson contract was kind of a weird one. And they... 
give up Mo Harkless again, probably not a star of this league, but for nothing. For like nothing. Yeah, I, I just I forgot about Kyle Quinn, and I don't know how I forgot about Mo Harkless because I've been championing Mo Harkless for months. Yeah. Kyle Quinn and Mo Harkless are really, really good young rotational players, and when you pair them with what you had already. Now, the thing that scares me most with Jason Smith, uh, Dwayne Dedman sort of came on the scene out of nowhere last year and was really sort of really, really solid defensively. His block numbers were pretty impressive, if I remember correctly. Um, let me just pull them up here. Um, let's see. Never mind. 0.8 blocks per game. What was that per 30? Ah, 2.1 per 36. And that's his career average. I mean, pretty strong player defensively. Um, I don't know. I really, I just don't see what the thinking is in Orlando. I don't know what Rob Hennigan is doing. Why draft those guys and then pair them with those sort of... I don't even feel like they're veterans for the players to learn from. I mean, like bringing in Ben Gordon last year... Who in their right mind goes, oh, I want Ben Gordon to... What's he going to do? I mean, is he going to get the whole team to go on vegan diets? <laughs> if if oh. you haven't seen Ben Gordon's uh, Vice documentary, Vice Sports documentary, check it out. It says all you need to know about Ben Gordon. Um, well, here's, here's the thing for me about this team. They kind of got really unlucky in the year they went big in the draft. They had two top ten picks and came over with Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton, and they probably couldn't have done much better. Yeah, I don't think that's that unlucky though. I mean, I think, I, I, mean, well, I think if you pull up another draft, you I can think find the, two guys in the top. I think 10 the draft. Anyways. Sorry, I think the draft that they just, or I think they kind of went on was, well, they definitely went on. It was 2012. I mean, not even just Harkless, but Nicholson. I mean, That's like the same style of player as well. It's just yeah, I, Nicholson's good. Harkless is is good. Actually, I really like both of them. I, but where is the thinking there? I mean, you go for one or the other, and that's that's the problem I have with the Alfred Payton Aaron Gordon draft as well. They took Gordon at four, which was definitely a reach. Um, but the issue I have is they. They picked two guys. They, they could have just gone one guy who could shoot. But they went for two guys who couldn't shoot at all. And mm-hmm. they did trade away. All right, they were involved in the trade. I don't know what way that, that actually out. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking about. I mean, yeah. they could have, if they had taken, if they had taken, say, Smart or Dante Exum at the, the Aaron Gordon spot, then they could have taken Dario Saric, stashed him, Still drafted Hazonia, and look at all the fun we'd have wow. with Hazonia and Sarge. That's that sounds like too much for everyone to handle. <laughs> I I don't know. I just don't see I just don't see any logic to what Rod Hennigan does in terms of team building. And that's not to say he doesn't pick good players through the draft because clearly they do. When we're talking about guys like Mo Harkless, even as second round pick. They've got a pretty impeccable record when it comes to actually finding useful players through the draft. They just don't. The problem is they just don't surround them with the right pieces to make any real progress. 
and the one like proven play, Old Depot, I would say actually is obviously their best draft pick in the last couple of years by far. But uh, the one player that they got that is probably their most proven player was just a throw-in with the Dwight Howard trade. That's Vucevic. Yeah, which is, I think people forget. I've often forgotten that he was on that Sixers team. Yeah. Um, that's like the best throwaway ever. I mean, this is coming from the books of Chris Middleton. <laughs> yeah. But mm. that is such a nice gift to be given. And it just feels like the Magic haven't utilized that properly. Centers like Vucevic don't come along too easily. He's not like a, a once-in-a-generation player by any means. But he is a legitimate double-double all-star center. And in the East, that's incredibly valuable. Like, he may not... It's just the, the sort of guy he is and definitely the team he plays for, he probably won't get that recognition in terms of all-star games um, or he won't get that sort of limelight shun on him. But in terms of talent, there's not a lot of guys, particularly in the Eastern Conference, who can hold a candle to what Nikola Vucevic offers. The... The other thing about this whole thing, obviously, is they're coming from Jack Vaughn, who's probably, I would, I think a lot of people would say he was the worst coach in the last 10 years, maybe even more. And I don't, I don't mind the Skiles pick. I, obviously, we have, a, we're, as a Bucks fan, or as a Buck fan, <laughs> uh, we, we know who he is. We know Scott Skiles, and we know how, like, terrible that ended. But he's a very good, solid coach right away. I just don't think this is the team, the right team for him. I just don't... I feel like they're really trying to rush, trying to be a playoff team, and I feel like it has very, like, Bucks-esque, like, in the mid-2000s, where they have some pieces, and then they just eventually just throw them away. Just you to try to make it to the playoffs. When they had Scott Skiles and Tobias Harris. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. This, <laughs> team, this team screams good assistant. That's who they should have gone after, like Becky Hammond. Like, get somebody younger. Get somebody who is going to bring something new to the table. And get someone who has, like, coaches have potential just like players do. I mean, there's assistants out here that can be like Brad Stevens and come out of nowhere and end up as really good coaches. Scott Skiles doesn't have that kind of potential. I mean, he's a proven, you know, quality in the NBA. He'll bring an okay defense, but he's not just going to all of a sudden become Brad Stevens. Becky Hammond could do that. It's possible. I mean, it's the best system in the NBA, one of the best systems in all the professional sports in the San Antonio Spurs. She's got one of the best pedigrees out of any assistant. I mean, Gentry got to pick where he wanted to go. I don't think they had a chance of getting him. He wanted AD. But they probably could have gotten Becky Hannon or someone from the Hawks, someone else from the Spurs. I think they should have done that. To be honest, I think um, the Becky Hammond thing, she's definitely, she's shown herself to have a lot of pedigree. Um, but I think she's jumping the queue a little bit in those discussions in terms of assistant coaches. And the assistant coach that I guess everything I've seen about has been incredibly positive and I would have seen as a good fit for that would have been Jay Laranaga who is assistant for the Celtics under Brad Stevens, he's often been put down as sort of next guy up for, for a job, and it just hasn't happened. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what they needed. They needed someone in the Brad Stevens mold, and that would be perfect. Or then even if they're going different, if they wanted someone a little bit older, 
I mean, why weren't they the ones setting the stall out and getting Alvin Gentry? Remember how long the the magic let this go? And um, what was was it Borrego? Was that the name of the intern? Yeah, he he wasn't yeah. that bad himself. No, he wasn't. I actually I like with the way that played out. Would it not have made more sense to stick with him as the coach than to bring in Scott Skiles? I just Scott Skiles doesn't move the needle in a way that's sort of significant enough that you go, well, this is the guy who's definitely going to get the best out of these young players. They could have hired a better guy named Scott. I would have rather seen Scott Brooks. No. He's not a great mind, but if you look at player development, who has developed better players? You could say that's the front office too. But, I mean, I've seen teams ruin good, promising players. Yeah, I'm a... A lot of guys flourish under Scott Brooks. I'm a Scott Brooks defender because I think he gets a really raw deal. Um, I mean, how many coaches could have Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant play next to each other and still be good friends? Scott Brooks is in the mold of not a technical genius, but, I mean, guys... Kevin Durant was... I mean, he wasn't crying, but he was respectful and a little sad that Scott Brooks is no longer there. People like Scott Brooks. But look, that team was... Scott Brooks gets, like... The fact that they didn't win a title gets thrown at, at Scott Brooks. That was not Scott Brooks' fault. I no, mean, no, Scott Brooks got them to a finals title. where they lost to the Miami Heat and then his front office had the genius idea to trade away James Harden. And just to keep making bizarre move after bizarre move that it's got to a stage where... <laughs> It feels like they don't deserve to rant on Westbrook anymore if they're going to throw all that money at Enos Cantor. Um, yeah, but just one one last Scott Brooks fun fact. James Harden has never had a better offensive season than he's had under Scott Brooks, despite his crazy, not uh, offensive rating, I should say. He was the most efficient when used under Scott Brooks. So, I mean, maybe, I mean, Scott Brooks, I'm not saying he's, you know, the greatest coach ever, but I'd rather have him than Scott Skiles. One other coach that I think could have could have been interesting options is Monty Williams. Yeah, I like Monty Williams too. Yeah, I, I don't think Monty Williams is that bad. And Anthony Williams or Anthony Williams, Anthony Davis had so much respect for Monty Williams. Monty, I don't. I was surprised he got fired after he brought them to the playoffs. I really was. Uh, I think there was a lot of no bench, no center depth. Omer pretty Ashid. much every everyone they sign, everyone they sign has pretty much turned out bad. Every free agent, every trade, except Anthony Davis, he got them to the playoffs in the West. I think I their GM, I think their GM has a uh, his own contract up, and I think that was a move to ensure uh, some uh, security. Yeah, I would say. I I uh, I just. For me, I think for how I would expect the Magic, I would say probably 32 wins. I have 35. Oh. It's still, even though you think they're bad, it's still hard to like think like, well, how bad are they? It's because they have these players who really aren't bad. And it's like the balance, and it's how many minutes then are those younger guys going to get. I'm going to go with 28 wins. Ooh, I have a, and you know what? what? It could be lower, because I think the East is going to be better. 
And if a team like the Hornets can get anywhere near, if the Hornets came in at 37 wins, well, that spells bad news for the Magic. Um, so if if the East is going to improve all round, even if it was to say sort of still, I just think the Magic are going to get left behind. Maybe maybe we'll be proven wrong. Maybe Scott Skiles will come out and we'll be going, oh, look at him playing this really young and dynamic starting five. I just don't think so. I think we're going to see a lot of Channing Fry. We're going to see a lot of CJ Watson. Jason Smith will get some minutes. It's just going to be really sad. Washington Wizards. Um, Super high on the Wizards. Yeah, I'm not, so this will be fun. Um, <laughs> we'll run through the depth chart. John Wall, Ramon Sessions, Garrett Temple. Uh, Brad Beal, Gary Neal, Martel Webster. Then at the three, Otto Porter Jr., Jared Dudley, Kelly Oubre. Junior. I don't know senior, so I'll drop it. Um, <laughs> as if I know Otto Porter. Um, <laughs> and Nene, Chris Humphreys, Drew Gooden, Martin Gorta, and Dewan Blair. Aside from John Wall, Bradley Beal, explain to me what's good about the Wizards. John Wall, Brad Beal, and Otto Porter Jr. I mean, yeah, I see. He was the only Wall's, other person you could possibly throw in there. Well, I mean, I mean, their their front court's solid enough. They're not bad. Nene and Mason Gortat are good players. They were uh, good players like five years ago. And they're still okay. Yeah. This is a team that is a move away from being great. I mean, you saw flashes from Porter Jr. and and Beal in the playoffs. They, I think they're both ready to take that leap, and that's what I'm I'm basing my projections on this team for is those this three these three guys they're one through three all being great, you're good to great players in the East and just playing really really good basketball and minimizing this front court. They need more depth. But I think they can get it. I mean, they're not locked into this roster. There's still guys out there. There's still a trade that they can make. But I just, I don't know. I just feel like the, they're going to have stars in Wall, Beal, and Porter Jr. this year, and they're going to carry them past a lot of teams in the East. Past a lot of teams. But then, I mean, how do you hide that? So let's say if we're talking about the books. So, okay, John Wall is better than Michael Carter-Williams, but I guess Bucks fans will be happy with him matching up against him. I mean, he should at least be able to come. He won't completely crumble. He's, he can hold his own to a degree. Uh, then Brad Beal against Middleton. I mean, I'll take Middleton's size and length in that matchup. Um, then to the three, Otto Porter at Giannis. Then you have, say, Jabari and Monroe against Nene and Marcin Gortat. If you move to the same, we, we talked with the Hawks earlier, uh, Millsap and Horford against Nene and Gortat. Um, we go to Chicago, take your pick out of all of their forwards. You can go Noah, Gibson, um, Miritich, you could be really high on Bobby Portis, you've got Pau Gasol. Trot any two-man combination of them out there, and they're going to be better. I think now than than Nene and Gortat. That's what I see as a big problem. There's no denying, there's no denying that those three guys are really good. Otto Porter, we might all be jumping the gun on, but I do think he's figured it out and he will prove to be really good in the long term. The other thing though is, 
the Wizards are the exact opposite of what the Hornets are in terms of depth. Their depth is terrible. You th- really think so? I do. I I mean, yeah, like I think super it's okay. high. Terrible. I mean, Chris Humphreys plays good basketball over there. That's true. I, I think what's really if, if if you look at your okay, so look at your bench five. So if we put your bench five as Ramon Sessions. Uh, I'm gonna go Martel Webster probably. I would go Martel Webster too. I don't think Gary Neal's better than Martel Webster. I think Gary Neal was perfect for the Spurs, and as he probably showed in Charlotte last year. In Milwaukee. Um. Yeah. Um. <laughs> at the tree, we've got Dudley, which we know the health question marks there. Then. Oh, I mean, Humphreys and Gooden. I know you're saying oh, both those guys can contribute. Amazingly, Drew Gooden can still contribute. I could be better than he did when he was a book. Um, but then Dewan Blair in the middle. Dewan Blair is small as well. Yeah. He's... I don't. I don't like their depth at all. Well, you're gonna have to look at. You're gonna see Ubre at shooting guard too. He's going to play shooting guard for them, especially when Dudley's healthy. Do you really think he'll play meaningful minutes, though? I mean, yeah. I think he's a better option right off the bat than Neil Webster, probably. That, that doesn't say a lot about what the Wizards have, then. Well, no, but, I mean, you're going to look at three guys who can play a hell of a lot of minutes in Wall, Beal, and Otto Porter Jr. They're all still super young. I think what kind of... Um unlocks like how good they could be is if they actually play small ball basketball in the regular season. I think that's what kind of really shocked people in the playoffs last year and really really like boosted their play or their chances was putting Pierce at the four and I think even though yeah they lost Paul Pierce but I think Delta is as good as a guy that you could find in that role. He's also five to six years younger. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously he has his own he has injury troubles. And is he though? Yeah, that's the question. Is he with his body now? Really, when you look at just <sighs> yeah, he had such I mean, a history before that. I mean, it's a it's tough so one because we all we all love Jared Dudley and he was great for the books last year, but the injuries is a pretty big deal. I mean, Paul Pierce again. He's a he's a healthy guy. Consider the basketball he's played. Yeah, um, he's, yeah in, that's he's in in exceptionally good shape, and he can still really contribute in the NBA. Dudley isn't going to have that longevity, I don't think. There's there's something to the reason that we all are surprised when we find out how young Dudley is. Um, <laughs> I think that his health plays into that. As he just doesn't look like a young guy. He just doesn't so does move his airline way. too. Yeah, not so much. LeBron hairline. <laughs> I think I think another one, another guy though that they, I, I mean, to say I really like is kind of strong, but I think was a very solid addition was Alan Anderson. Again, he's not a guy that people would say, oh, he's a very key contributor, but play, he plays 15 minutes a game, and they make it. I would I would put them at least make it to the second round. Yeah, I think he's underrated. I mean, losing Alan Anderson, losing Paul Pierce, they're sort of 
there that's the depth that's gone to me. Like, oh no no, they just they just got him this year. Alan Anderson. Yeah. He's not on the depth chart. He's not on the depth chart. Sure? Uh, missing him on the depth chart? Am I crazy? Let's go to real GM. Let's check real GM. We're gonna cross reference this depth chart. This changes things a little bit if he's there. They're seeing yeah. What was that, Jordan? There, he's on the Wizards. He is on yeah, the Wizards. He, he's on yeah. the real GM depth chart. I don't know why he's not on the ESPN. That's odd. Okay, well then I just forgot about Alan Anderson. Thanks, ESPN. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that this improves really things to two slash three a little bit. Mm. Um, well, you got to... Oh, okay, then I guess they are full then. I was just going to say they can still bring someone in because they have 14 on the, the ESPN depth chart, but I'm guessing Alan Anderson's their 15th. It's, see, the two and three, I think they're... They well, you know, don't leave it anyway. But with Alan Anderson there, they're definitely covered depth-wise the two and you three. Know, that I, means I mean, Dudley can play four too. Mm-hmm. He can, but we're talking about health again then. Well, or they could have Otto Porter play it and have some mix of Ubre, Anderson, Beal. I guess Anderson would be the most logical one to move up. That would be real small ball. Um, Nene. Yeah. He's he's not far off being done to me. Um the way the way he played against the Hawks in the playoffs. He they they cannot play him and Gotade more. It was bad. Very bad. I mean Gortad still has more to offer right now, I think. Oh um, yeah. This was the playoffs for Nene. Uh, 7.9 points per game. 6.6 rebounds, which was okay. This is the sort of bizarre one, though. 47.8% from the free throw line. Well, well, the year before, the year that before was at 34.9. The year before, at 34.6 in the playoffs. Okay, six, yeah. Um... I don't know. I mean, that's that's a significant drop off from his regular season numbers. So that's These strange. Are career career regular season sixty seven percent from the uh, free throw line. Uh, playoffs career fifty eight point eight. So then if you look at his last out. two years, you're looking. His last two is extra terrible. Forty seven and thirty eight. Uh-huh. This was. I mean, weird. that's that screams out a guy who was burned out and he's sort of his body can't really. Take the take the toll of a full NBA season anymore. I wonder if this is a team that could go after Bouger to replace him. That's like adding Drew Gooden again, <laughs> yeah. which is not a recipe for success. But I mean, if if the Wizards go and get Chris Humphreys, Boozer, and Drew Gooden, if that's like, wow, that's depressing. This is a team that should have done more in free agency to get another big guy. The Paul Pierce thing is such an underrated love. I don't think they had much to go with, though. And obviously the... That's Gort- the, the, the thing with that is that's Nene and Gortat that have the money tied up. Yeah, 
Because well, like, uh, right like now, John Wall is famously on the record as saying he's making less money than Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Um, which Ty might feel is fair, but he's about the only person on the planet. Um, Brad Beal is still on. It's economics. <laughs> Brad Beal is still on his rookie deal, is he? Yeah, they're they're trying to talk about talks, but uh, I don't think that's gonna happen. I'm sure they'll get that tied up. Porter's on a rookie deal. Then, so, I mean, if they really want to win, you find a way to get rid of one of those two guys. There you go. The Mavs needed. We talked with the Mavs needed a center. What trade him Gortat? Yeah. Well, then who are they gonna play at center? They could have signed someone. Signed yeah, I mean, someone, signed someone cheaper been... and had space to get some. They should have gone for uh, Brandon I Wright. Rallo. I like Rallo there. Yeah? That would have been good. A defensive stopper on this team down low. I mean, I would have really let those first three guys operate on offense and not really have to worry about if someone gets past them. Lopez can help cover that up a lot. I like Brandon Wright there because if you look at what he went for, yeah, that's the money that would have left over to fill out the roster with another sort of... I don't know, that would have just been a smart move. They, that Dudley deal looks bad for them. Well, no, it doesn't. It was a second-round pick. I'm talking about if he's not healthy and he's your Paul Pierce replacement. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it was... You know, when that, when that comes out, I know, and I know he could be back, he could be back really soon in the season, but that's a big risk. Pierce was such an important guy. If I think you want the insurance of the person who's replacing them being. Well, you know why they got rid of Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce no, they wanted. Didn't get rid of him. Paul Pierce. Well, they didn't. They didn't re-sign him. Yeah. Paul Pierce wants more than one year, and they want as few contracts as possible for next. Did Paul Pierce not signed for one year in LA though. I thought he, he got has three. Like, he has like player options, but they're all player options, I believe. It's well, like a really, really weird deal. It's like three twelve. I want to say, if he if he takes the options, maybe it it's three fifteen. Multi-year contract, anyway. Yeah, it's three twelve or three fifteen, isn't it? Or three fourteen? Three three ten. Three ten. They don't want any money from Paul Pierce for on them. They're going for Kevin Durant. It's mm-hmm. obvious that they're going for Kevin Durant. I don't know if they get him. If they got rid of Nene and kept Gortat and slotted Kevin Durant in at the four, that team would be ridiculously good. I don't see why they don't get Kevin Durant. I don't see why Kevin Durant leaves. Because he can go really to a bigger market. He gets away from Russell Westbrook, who is great as he is. It's got to grade on him a little bit at times, just the dynamic of that team. I don't know. I, even, I, I feel like it's a much better situation to be in. They can't pay as much, can they? Sorry? Doesn't well, OKC have the biggest contract or no? Does that go away in uh, unrestricted trades? No, I still I think, think they have his bird rights, don't they? They do, but I don't... So they can give him the biggest deal, and there's no way they don't... If they don't offer it, then they don't deserve it. The problem, though, is that I don't trust... I don't do not trust that front office. That front office is very... If they don't, if they don't give him that, I don't know, it's like thirty some million a year. If they don't offer that, they're they're the worst organization ever. I mean, the thing is, why why does Durant care? 
about the extra money they can offer with the cap rising as it is. He'll get a crazy amount of money wherever he wants. If, yeah. if he wants a crazy amount of money on a one-year deal so he can re-up again or a two-year deal to see what way what way the salary cap keeps going over time, he'll get whatever he wants wherever he wants it. I mean, there's I no like team in the NBA who wouldn't clear house for him. Kevin I Durant just don't know why you stay in long-term. He's going to go long right away. He's had injury concerns. He must that depends on his that. health this season, really. Well, I mean, someone will offer Kevin Durant a stupid contract if he misses the whole year again. Well, yeah, that's true. But do you not think you if he took a one-year deal and he ended up injured, so he's a free agent the next summer, that there isn't a team who's going to pay him all the money he wants just to take that risk? Of course there, he's Kevin Durant. What if, it's, what if it's more serious than a one-year injury? What if, he, what if it's Embiid and he has a string of them? That's, that's not financial security. I don't know. I think teams take that risk on Durant. The difference between Embiid and Durant is Embiid. We haven't seen step foot in an NBA floor. Durant has been an MVP. You probably. I don't know. I, I see him going for a long deal. What other? Can we? Can we? Can we just go Kevin Durant for a minute? What other teams? Would Kevin Durant would would go for Kevin? I mean, of course, like you said, anyone would try to sign him. But like the Bucks aren't well, going to have an offer. The Lakers are are going to go for Kevin Durant, I'm sure. Miami. Will Miami have space? Will I, Miami I have space? Their, I don't. Well, I Wade will be gone, wrong. but Bosch will still be there. Dragic will still be there. I remember that's but important I too. If we're talking about the money, the the tax situation in Miami as well. Well, I mean, I don't think they could have him and Whiteside. Because Whiteside's going to ask for a lot of money. Well, that's an easy paid. decision, then, isn't it? <laughs> well, not when, not when it's you know a what percent chance at Kevin Durant or a hundred percent chance at Hassan Whiteside. That's the thing. They, I mean, they at least entertained Lorenzo Aldridge, and they had no like like flexibility at all. The Celtics, that's by the way, are the are the team that. I feel like the Lakers are a sneaky, really good pitch for him. Because that's their hugest hole right now is that small forward. It it depends on Clarkson and Russell and, and Randall this year, but if all three it depends of those on a lot really because good. it depends on Randall's health too. Yeah, and they still won't have a center outside of Roy Hibbert, but they can. I don't know if they can even get one. I don't know who. I mean, they could go for Dwight Howard and and uh, Durant. No, I don't. I don't think that's happening either because. If Durant right. does leave OKC, he's going to want to leave to a situation that's better now. And I don't think Miami would be that because they're they're just too old. Houston? Houston would if they can make that work. They, I mean, they could. Dwight will come off how, how great as a storyline would that be if Durant went and rejoined with James Harden and they won a title together? That would be... I feel like they definitely would win a title together. Yeah, it's not good if you're... From OKC, but what do you think about it for Houston? Lost and unguaranteed his deal, so they could get rid of him for nothing. Howard will be off the books. That's probably Jones, right there. Jones, Monte Yunus, and I think there's like another one that's their rookies contracts are done. Howard doesn't. Or Harden doesn't make much considering his skill level. I think he's on like 18 a year. That team would be insane. It would be like 15. Would be like 15. How is it, or Harden's only on 15 a year? Yeah, because his extension is coming up as like a rookie. Here, let me look that up. Because there's only so much you can give out of rookie extension. See, the, 
the problem for me with this is I just I can only see him as a wizard. You really think you you're, you think there's more chance he goes to to Washington? It's there's so many reasons. It's first of all it's it's as close as he can get to going home. Um, on top of that, he gets to go to the East. I mean, he's had the experience of being on a team that's had to slug it out for a playoff spot. Um, even if if he's been injured through that and he hasn't had to watch, hasn't had to play through it, he's watched it. Um, I mean, go east, go to a team that has John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter. The piece they're really missing there is they'd have to get a good coach. They, they need more than Randy Whitman. Becky, Becky Hammond. Kid, like they need well, a lot the, more than Becky Hammond too. They need a proven coach there. Is that their, is that their biggest? Is that the biggest question with the Wizards? Is playoff women? Could he become like regu- like actual Brandy women? Yeah, I mean he'll have a season to audition. That's what this is for the entire Wizards organization right now. This year is you know we have to prove ourselves. Literally everyone involved for Durant, but they're not going to be the only team. Toronto. I don't think he would go there, but they're open enough. They, they I don't see it because process. I just don't think their roster is good enough now. I don't either, but I, I think that's going to be one of those teams in the running. I just think it's you, you only move if it's the right situation. I think the stars align for the Wizards in so many ways. They're going to have the perfect mix between the place for it that he'll want to be, maybe from a personal point of view, um, and the best situation to win. Mm-hmm. There's no way the Clippers could give him a max deal, is there? No, I don't think so because the Clippers are tied into so many guys. And they're already overtaxed. Well, they get the cap. They get the cap relief though. When? I mean, or not relief, not relief, but their cap going up, so they'll get at least. They have I don't at least think they'll have to pay them enough. I when mean, that was, would be the best ever. When must Blake be up again as well, though? Because I mean, if you, Ooh. if the Clippers went at that, they'd be giving themselves a tight window for when Blake's next contract will be up. And when, I feel like it's. When's Chris Paul's contract run until? Yeah, he, he'll be, he'll be that's unrestricted. That's like 18. What he, about he Minnesota? Was... Uh, no. I, I do <laughs> No disrespect, but why is he going to Minnesota? I know the two players you're going to mention. Yeah, Wigan, Wigan's talents. But aside from that, so you're talking about two teenagers still, and you're talking about the Western Conference. Griffin's Griffin's contract would be at the or goes until the end of 2017-18. I mean, at that, at, if we're throwing names out there like that, why not the Hawks? Horford's off the books next summer, so they have the cap space. They could trade Millsap. Yeah. Wow. I mean, uh, I think I think the good Eastern Conference would, would they do that? Sorry. Would the Hawks even try to do that? If they have yeah, a chance. Historically, they have. Look at what, look are, what Phoenix did. Phoenix I mean, traded the like Morris and I mean some other throwaways, but for just to get even a chance to sign Lamarcus. I mean, I think I don't know why they thought that was a thing. I mean, the Hawks under Danny Ferry were basically doing that on a yearly basis, setting themselves up. They weren't having to trade away, but the roster was completely designed about flexibility. And lots of people wrote about it. Kevin Arnovitz did a great piece, if I remember rightly, last year on it. Um, but the Hawks completely looked into that, just how well things clicked. We've talked about how great it is, but of course part of that is luck, because 
they did. They went and they pitched Carmelo Anthony and they pitched him hard. And they they made the phone calls to LeBron to everyone. Basically, no one was Dwight too. Dwight really hard. Dwight and Chris Paul was the plan. I mean, they were both guys. It was to bring Dwight home. Chris Paul. Um, That's right. Chris, I think Chris Paul lives in Atlanta during the off season. Are used to anyway. Um, great friends with Josh Smith. There was all sorts of plans there, and just it never panned out. No one ever looked twice at Atlanta, and this is what happened out of it. Now whether. No, go ahead, sorry. It's now Mike Budenholzer and Wes Wilcox run the show. Whether they do that, I don't know. But I do think... I think the Wizards are the best bet. The Hawks wouldn't come close. But that's the sort of mold of team. You've got to look at Eastern Conference teams. One other... This could be someone you're going to say. What about the Pacers? I, I just, Him and Paul George next to each other would be weird. Yeah. I don't know how that would work. They're both high usage guys. I mean, I guess I so is him. They tried to figure it out. I mean, the the Pacers could technically pull that off, though. Well, what I about mean, the yeah, Bulls? What, what, I was going to say the Bulls. The, I mean... They'd have to probably... Powell, to Powell has a player option. Noah's up. Rose is up. I mean, they have so much... That's their biggest so goal. So if you're, if you're Kevin Durant and you've missed out on having a real run at the title... Because of injuries, if not to you, to teammates, why do you go to Chicago? Well, well those guys are Jimmy the Butler, Bucks. Jimmy Butler, you, and then those all those forwards. Jimmy Butler, Durant, and who? Because anyone else in that roster could be injured. Yeah, Nurkic didn't have injury problems. Portis is new in the league. I mean, that's not going to win you the title, I don't think. Oh, but they're, they're, I mean, they're going to have space to put more guys there. I uh, honestly, I I'm convinced that the Rams will be a wizard next year. It just makes so sense. You can play it to three, you can play it to four. It doesn't really matter. I mean, they're gonna go small. They're gonna have some combination of him and Otto Porter. It'll basically be well, where do you want to play, Kevin? And Otto Porter will be told to play the other spot. Yeah, I don't think Otto Porter will complain. No, I don't think he will either. And why would he? Because they'll be winning a lot of games. Um, the Houston I, thing intrigued me. It really did. The what thing? It's the Houston thing. They they want to get him. They I mean Daryl Morey is just good at luring people on. there. Morey got Dwight when it didn't seem like they were going to be good enough to attract Dwight. I mean, I want to say... Oh, that, that I don't know. The Howard trade, or the Harden trade, wasn't it? The problem the yeah. problem I have with Houston is, and this season they might they might have done something to address it, but they don't seem to value the point guard. And that's a big mistake. It's a big mistake. No matter how good your, your two guard or your trees or your fours can be a handling the ball, and that's the way the NBA is gone now. The point guard still is so important. You look at the finals last year. Right, okay, injuries factor into it. But over the course of the season, you're looking at a team with Kyrie Irving and you're looking at a team with Steph Curry. Yeah. I mean, the anomaly to that was for quite a few years the Heat. But you're talking about LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. If you can combine that sort of... If they could keep Dwight Howard and he found his sort of some of his best form, and then you had Harden, Durant, and Howard, yeah, okay, that might just then the point guard might matter so much. But 
I don't know, unless you have a really strong third guy, really, really top caliber. I think the point guard still matters more than the Rockets often give it credit for. If you yeah. if you don't have a good point guard, the team just doesn't it it doesn't operate in the same way. Yeah, that's true. Harden can be good as a ball handler, Durant can be good as a ball handler. That's not their biggest strength at the end of the day. You don't want them to be doing the ball handling. You want them to be the guys on the end of the passes scoring. Well, Ty Lawson can distribute. What was he, third in assists last year? Can they keep Ty Lawson, though, and get Durant? I mean, they could always work out a, a salary thing with him. He's got an unguaranteed deal. I'm sure they could figure out a way to give him less money. if he. I mean, I, don't, I think he'd want to play on that team. I don't, I don't think anything about Ty Lawson's character that I know is like win now. And just sort of, I'm going to sacrifice money to win. What if I mean, they could give him a long-term deal with Les and give him security and winning. He he offered to unguarantee his deal. I mean, that's yeah, what that's, I'm going that's on. What it, I would say that's what it proved himself. I mean, you saw what... I think that's more... We're talk, we talked about Dennis Schroeder earlier. It's another irrational confidence guy. Mm-hmm. Kyle Lawson would lead the league in assists if he was on that team. I think easily. Oh, you'd lead the league in assists if you if you were passing to Kevin Durant to James Harden. And I'll take Vet Min to go play for him too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's get back. Let's finish this up. Wizards predictions. Fifty-six and twenty-six, second in the conference. I see them having a Hawks season and just figuring it out. I uh, I will go 52 wins, and they are my lock to make it to the conference finals. Yeah, I think they do too. Wow. Um. <laughs> we are very high on the posters. I mean, no one was able to answer the four and five for me, though. You really don't think it matters in the East. There's actually there's good four or five tandems that they're going to come up against. Yeah, I think they. I mean, I think they figured it out. I think they just beat think, them everywhere I think else. The key, I think the key is finding if, if they keep if they keep to the stretch four, like the Pierce role, and if Dudley, it's obviously a fingers crossed kind of thing, but if Dudley can be that kind of guy, and if they can. Get the best out of Nene, but in a very reduced role where he, like we pointed out before, that he doesn't get burned out in April or May. Those are kind of, those are the two big ifs. But I think on Beal and Wall and Gortat. I mean Gortat, he's up there in age now, but he's still very solid for what he could do. He's a good passer too. Yeah, I think I just I I think they could do it. I I think. Any combination of Cleveland's forwards, Chicago's, then you've got Millsap and Horford, you've got Parker and Monroe, you've got Bosch and Whiteside. They'll all make absolute mince meat of that Wizards from court. So I'm going to put the Wizards at 46 wins. And I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up a little lower because one thing I do think... John Wall's health worries me a little bit, and this is sort of, this across all sports, sort of, 
fast twitch muscle guys, which they don't get much quicker in the NBA than John Wall. Um, he seems sort of the sort of player that's tailor made for sort of a small niggling injury here and then a niggling injury there. I hope that's not the case, but yeah, it wouldn't be right. Yeah, I I don't know. I I just I can't overlook the front court. I I think the the other three guys are really really strong. Um, if they had, if they even had solid front court depth, I don't, I can't pass Drew Gooden and Chris Humphreys off as that in 2015-2016. So that's the part for me, just because I think the East is the East is really strong up front now. And that hasn't always been the case, but that's five teams that would definitely have a significant advantage in a matchup against Nene and Gortat. Um, so that's where the struggle. Maybe they'll be a great regular season team. If that's the case, though, I I definitely can't see them getting near conference finals. Nowhere near it for me. We'll fight this out yeah. at the end of the season, I'm sure. Yeah, that'll be fun. Unless they do bad, then it won't be fun for me. If we do bad, I'll remind you both every week. Uh, I'm sure you will. Don't worry. If the Wizards start slow, I'll be I'll be all over that. Uh, that's all for a very lengthy Southeast yeah, preview. That's all. Um, yeah, we've <laughs> we've covered literally every detail of the Southeast. We don't even cover this division. That's probably the problem. I mean. <laughs> I, I gotta split the central podcast into three parts so at this point thanks for listening thank you Hope very you much Sly and Jordan for being a part of it um, <laughs> subscribe on iTunes follow us on SoundCloud check out our articles you'll hear from us next week thanks guys yep bye